I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. Today's guest is a 28-year-old Arab woman who's really been breaking records after records and setting examples. Tima Derian is a Lebanese woman who was the first Lebanese woman and the youngest Arab to summit Mount Everest at age 26. On May 22nd, 2019, she stood gratefully and humbly at the peak of the highest mountain in the world after two full months, two full months of an expedition during one of the deadliest seasons on Everest. Before summiting Everest, Tima had climbed 18 of the world's highest mountains, including six of the seven summits. The seven summits are known to be the highest mountain on every continent in the world. She became the first Arab woman to climb Ojos del Salado, which is the highest active volcano in the world. Uh, with her passion for exploring and redefining limits, mountaineering comes as a second nature to her. She told me the last time we met that as she climbs, she sometimes carries as much as 50 or 60 kilograms on top of her own weight at high altitude, equal to every man on the expedition doing it with passion and sometimes as a leader for the others. Tima was once a finance professional working in a multinational organization, and she's now the founder of Mountain Gypsy. She's a professionally certified coach. She's an advocate for children. Uh, she is a woman's right advocate, and she's an activist for environmental issues. She just simply wants to see everyone follow their passion, develop their leadership skills, and carve their own path to a better future. So much passion, so much drive, so much achievement, so much wisdom for this 28-year-old that I met at an event around three, four months ago and was so inspired that I wanted to bring her views to you today. Tima Drian. Tima, it's you again. So good to see you. It's been long time. When was the last time we met? Good to see you too. Uh, last time we met was uh, around Feb. We were doing the TV show, the talk show. Yeah, 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 yeah. I never saw the outcome of that. It was such a, an amazing group. For our listeners, Tima and I, and a few other um, very, very wise and interesting businessmen and influencers, we were interviewed by a, what, Norwegian TV a documentary or something like that. Was it Norwegian? I, no, I don't think it was. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know why we all said yes, because it was wonderful. Honestly, everyone was amazing. And I got to know about you. And I said, man, you have to be here and tell the world about you. So thank you for making it. I'm so happy that we have met. We've crossed paths. I mean, I learned so much about you only from how you spoke for like a few minutes and you were literally just talking valuable stuff and I was inspired and you inviting me to the show was a plus one. So oh, yeah, thank you. Thank indeed. you so much for having me. <laughs> of course, I, I have to say it's very impressive. So like I said in the introduction of this episode, so Tima is the first Lebanese woman to ever climb Everest. And you're the first Arab woman to climb six of the seven summits. So Tima is the first Lebanese woman to climb Mount Everest and uh, the youngest Arab. And this is where so I still have one more summit to go. So I've done six out of the seven summits. To remain the youngest, when do you have to do it? Soon. This year. Yeah. <laughs> this year. All right. <laughs> and you had what? I, I read when I looked at your profile, you climbed 18 climbs. So it's, it's not just those six. No. So I've done 18 high altitude mountains, including six out of the seven summits. And to give the audience just a, an idea about what the seven summits are, it's basically the highest mountain on every continent. 
So those are the seven summits. But besides the seven summits, there is a lot of mountains in the world to be climbed. The highest thing I've ever climbed, I think, is, uh, you know, those machines in the gym where uh, the stairmasters, right? <laughs> so, so I first get to the top of the machine, which I think is an achievement, right? But Definitely, when, you know, yes. <laughs> <laughs> in my fittest time, which wasn't a long ago, I mean, a year and a half before Corona, I would climb a hundred stories or something like that on that little stairmaster. The rounded muscular button, I was like that athletic 50-year-old. Anyway, I don't do that anymore. But I think that this is like a joke compared to the heights you're talking about. Everest, how high is that? So Everest is at 8,848 meters. So what happens on those heights and what makes climbing high altitude challenging is basically what happens in the environment around you. So uh -huh. when we go up, our bodies are not used to it. So where we are now, we're literally at sea level where the oxygen is 100%. So as we go up after 3000 meter, what happens in the air is that oxygen is scattered. So when you inhale, you do not take the same amount of oxygen you take at sea level. So at 3000, is it's still about 90%. And then as you go up, it reduces. So on the summit of Everest, the oxygen level is about 34%. That's how much you can take in from the air. That's wow. besides the pressure. So... If you look at a bag of chips, let's say, in an airplane, what happens to it when the airplane takes off? It's literally inflated to its maximum. And that's exactly what happens to our body. Because of the pressure, our body, everything starts inflating. So we have our hands getting swollen sometimes. And this is what happens internally to us. And our brains are sometimes... Th this is why we have something called AMS, um, uh, Acute Mountain Sickness. Uh, it's because of the change in the pressure and the oxygen as we go up. So there's a way to climb high altitude mountains, which is basically you go up and then you come back down and you sleep to increase the red blood cells in our systems so it, the oxygen can travel easier. So we're getting acclimatized with the weather, the oxygen, the pressure and the whole different environment up there. And that's why... Everest, for example, took around two months to climb because of the process of acclimatization. Anybody can come and climb Everest straight up to the summit in like, let's say, two, three days. But they will die on the way because if you're not acclimatized, you can't take in the oxygen and your body will not last. This is why we go up for about 300, sometimes 500 meters, sometimes 1,000 meters, and then we come back down and sleep. While we're sleeping, our body is increasing the red blood cells in the system. And then when we go up the next time, it feels easier. So it's very interesting when you climb on high altitude. So when you climb 8,000 meters, you're not really climbing 8,000 meters. You're climbing 300 and then down and then, you know, 500 and then down. And then so it adds up to like tens of thousands of meters maybe, right? Exactly. Total elevation. Exactly. It's different. Severely cold. Uh, so it was minus 40 on Everest, but more like home was base camp and base camp is at 5,360 meters. So I was living there for about 40 days on and off. This was the base where we go up and we come back down. So we do rotations on Everest to get acclimatized before we head to the summit. So on base camp, it's around minus 25. Some nights it hits minus 30. Sometimes it's nice where like when it's like minus 10. But on other days or when you go up to high camps, it gets as low as minus 40 sometimes. And it's really cold. Why would anyone do that? Seriously. Why do you do it? Passion. Why not? It's passion. When, when you... When you get out there and you get a taste of what it feels like, the feeling of freedom and the feeling of a true self. And I always say it is the extreme experience of being present within the moment. Oh, that's wonderful. And it's very rare to have those kind of moments when... You're around people in the city, just living life, trying to survive and just doing life in general is really hard to be present. And up there is the purest form of being present. You can't think of looking left and right. You have to be in the moment. You need to look where you're putting your foot at. What's the next step? And this is all you focus on. You don't even think about coming back down. You forget that you have to go back down because you're so in the moment focusing on every move you take. 
That is an incredible way of looking at it. I have never seen it this way. I was going to counter argue the idea of passion and say, so, you know, how about a good cup of coffee in the morning with a cookie while you're reading something, <laughs> you know, that's also, and I have a passion for that, right? But hold on, that idea of total presence, the idea of total isolation, the idea of maybe connecting with nature that is so unlike nature. Is it different, very different up there? It's like the purest form of being one with nature, Mother Earth. It's, it's, we're one with the mountain. And I always say this, like, I dislike it when people say, I'm going to conquer a mountain. We don't conquer mountains. We conquer probably internal mountains, definitely. But like the mountain itself, we become one with the mountain and we ask for permission to be there because the energy up there is something else. It humbles you, it grounds you, and it gets you to the moment. And it tells you like, be here, respect me. Because I mean, if the weather just change, okay, if you take one wrong step, it takes seconds for you to lose your life up there. And it's no joke. So no, it is the purest way of being one with nature and within yourself. How about that, the team next to you? So you, this is not to be done alone, is it? I mean, you have to be in a group and the group has to have a reasonable set of experience. Yes. Have you ever had one of those climbs where on day two, you realized that Jack was horribly annoying and this is going to be a disaster? <laughs> in every climb there's this person so <laughs> there's a jack in every <laughs> I mean if the mountain doesn't test your patience the person that person will test your patience <laughs> but no the team is always it's nice to be in a team you learn a lot so I've traveled to six continents so far and I've met so many people and I'm always excited to join teams actually because on the mountain when you get with those teams you have no idea who they are they're coming from different parts of the world but what's really nice about climbing is once we get together we're all there for the same exact reason to summit and come back safe and now there is no way anybody would mess up because we need to play like a team we need to climb like a team and act like a team for the next x amount of days and depending on what mountain we are on so we can all reach the summit because sometimes you'd have to turn around because of few people on the team are sick we'd have to cut down the expedition short and turn back and i've been on those expeditions for example but on everest was different is that there's a buddy system so the sherpas there so one thing before we proceed with everest without sherpas sherpas are like mountain guides in Nepal, in the Himalayas. They are very experienced and they live on altitude. So their houses and their villages are about 4,000 meters, 3,000 meters. And during the Everest season, they are the people who help people to climb to the summit. And this year, one of the Sherpas hit 25th time of making it to the oh, summit wow. of Everest. So you can only imagine how superhuman those people are. Uh, so we have this body system. So it's me and the Sherpa and on the climb when we're going on rotations and when we're climbing, it's only me and the Sherpa. So whoever Mr. X annoying person in the team wouldn't be annoying on the while we're hiking, <laughs> but probably when we're having dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Tima, if you don't mind, you're in your 20s, right? Late 20s. So I'm 28 now. I started climbing when I was 23. So you did 18 climbs in five years? Yes. One of which is COVID. Yes. <laughs> My latest experience. What about that? What's your latest? Did you climb during COVID? So I was, uh, I just came back from Nepal uh, only three days ago, actually. I'm back in Lebanon because I cannot go back to Dubai because travelers from Nepal are not allowed in Dubai now. So I landed in Beirut safely with a negative PCR. But before that, I had a plan to climb two mountains in the Himalayas, which was a Mount Mera Peak and uh, Mount Barunse. So Mera Peak is um, a very beautiful, majestic peak at 6,400 meters. And Barunse is a very tough peak at 7,129 meters. So my expedition was supposed to be 40 days. Uh, I had planned it very well and I chose those two mountains specifically because not a lot of people go climb there. So I assumed there wouldn't be a lot of COVID in case it comes <laughs> up. So I went there and I started the climb and everything was going very well. 
10 days into it, I made it to 5,000 meters. Only a few days before I hit 5,000 meters, I was starting to feel weak. I felt that something wasn't feeling right and my body wasn't being the body that I know on altitude. So I was wondering what was going on. I know I did my training very well. I know I've been eating very well. I've been sleeping very well. So something was feeling off. So I thought it was a stomach bug because I did struggle with a stomach bug when I was on Everest and it's horrible. So I got myself ready mentally and physically to understand I'm going to be sick for the next few days and I need to take it slow. And that's what happened. I made it to the high camp at 5,000 meter, just camp before the high camp, so camp one. And I was waiting there till I get good. So I continue. And I was convinced it was a stomach bug. So I took specific antibiotic for the stomach. Nothing changed. And then I had my partner with me who was helping me out. We were trying to figure what was going on. So he'd take my temperature and he'd take my oxygen level. I, he doesn't show it to me. And I would ask him, like, what's going on? Because I couldn't move. I was literally in my wow. sleeping bag on a, on bed. So we weren't sleeping yet in a tent. And I was lying down, really not moving. And I felt like the heat was coming out of me. And he told me, no, you don't have like a high fever. You're fine. Your oxygen levels are okay. You're good. I think you're just tired. And there was this night that my whole body was shivering so much for legit three hours. My heart was pumping. We just didn't know what to do. And I'm thinking like, how bad this stomach bug can be? Like, what did I eat? So it went on for five days and I was very persistent and I really wanted to to summit at least one mountain. I said, we'll do one and we'll leave. I'm fine with it. But I just missed the feeling of being up there and like the sense of achievement. But then uh, I had zero energy. I couldn't eat for three days and we had to call the insurance and I was evacuated. So I took a helicopter from 5,000 meters straight into the city. I couldn't go to the hospital because the hospitals in Kathmandu was a big chaos. There was no places. People were sitting on the street. So we had to go to a place where I can, so I'm, I'm still recovering, so where I can get some rest. And I had a very bad cough and we still didn't know what was it. So we Oh, everybody knows flight. the description is super <laughs> clear, Tima. What are you talking about? <laughs> I was convinced. I was still convinced that it's a stomach bug. And I announced on Instagram, like, okay, so I'm cutting off my expedition. I realized that I have a stomach bug and I can't continue and all that. I do the PCI on the basis that I'm traveling the next day. I go to pick up the PCI and it says it's positive. It's very positive. <laughs> <laughs> it's Corona. It's COVID. Oh my God. So now you have a new record. You're the only woman that had COVID <laughs> on top of a mountain. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> You're the first case of an Arab woman with COVID-19 at 5,000 <laughs> feet. There you go. Yeah, it was, it was an experience. Like, it was crazy. That is unbelievable. You know, it's funny. When we came back and I discovered it was COVID, so my partner came and said, okay, now I can be honest with you because we're done playing the placebo effect on you. I'm like, what were you doing? He's like, so your temperature was around 40 and your oxygen 40. level was 50. Yes. And your oxygen oh level God. went down to 50. And this is why, and I would not say I want to get evacuated. I say I'm fine. But this placebo effect made me walk from one place to another. Like I would move because he tried to make me move during the day because I wouldn't move. And I was convincing myself that I'm still going to make it to the summit until I found out the true numbers. But yeah, I survived it. And uh, I think it just made me stronger mentally. Hold on, hold on. I caught COVID, I think, end of February or something like that. And I was here in my apartment. I had pharmacies all around me. I could order stuff online and I had medical attention and it was nasty. Like I couldn't yeah. breathe. Now you're at 5,000 feet with no oxygen and you're still driven for five days to continue to try to climb. Now I need to understand that psyche. What's up with you people that climb mountains? <laughs> what? <laughs> I think persistence and commitment and perseverance. That's what I would like if I want to sum it up. Because when you're passion driven, like 
and obstacles get in your way, you will find anything to get over this obstacle and proceed. You will dig and you'll use all your energy to think of, okay, how can I make this better? How can I overcome this? It's just temporary. And this is scary sometimes because as climbers, for example, this is why a lot of people on Everest like die. It's because of this mentality and sometimes we don't know where to stop. And it can go to the extreme. And anything that goes to the extreme is bad. So there's this mentality of when you're pushing, we keep on pushing. We say, okay. So for me, I either start counting steps. I start looking at rocks and like making them like a checkpoint. When I get to here, I'll breathe when I get there. And you keep on pushing because you know your purpose. You know you're getting to the summit. You don't want to stop. You want to keep on going. And then you build really hardcore mental fortitude and you just keep on going and i think what kept me going is this mentality of one more step one more step hang in there one more step but then my partner was like we're done because at one point i was trying to walk back to my room and i just like fell on the ground i couldn't i collapsed and then this is where we're like we're done pushing we are leaving and even that, I woke up the next day, I ordered a big breakfast to make a point that I can still make it. <laughs> and then the breakfast came. But then when I looked at it, I said, okay, no, I couldn't eat. And this I is know. when I'm like, okay, khalas, we're done. But isn't this what life is about? I mean, in a very interesting way, if anyone faced with a challenge, did what you're doing while you're climbing, one more step, one more step, one more step, everyone would achieve every dream. You know, this is the truth of reality. Huh? It's, you know, it, even if you're not capable of doing it today, as you're rightly saying, with acclimatization, whatever challenge you're facing, you're going to develop the brain cells, you're going to develop the red blood cells in your case, you're going to develop the knowledge, maybe the team, the contacts whatsoever. And then over time, you would get there. The question I think is, why do people not do that? And I heard the key word when you were saying it's passion. I believe that this is my purpose. I believe that I want to achieve this. And if this was just a challenge for your startup when you're, you know, marketing something, you wouldn't have that persistence because it might not be your passion. Is that true? I totally agree. If you're passionate about that startup and then you are willing to take it one more step, one more step. I tried, like I'm also doing multiple startups here and there now because I cannot work for a corporate anymore. And I know I want to build something that I truly like. And I come from a background of finance. But then when I tried something in finance, I failed it because I have no interest in it. But then when I'm starting something towards woman movement and I'm doing like a feminist product right now, I'm working on it. And you see it, the moment I put it out in the market, it was selling and I'm finding ways how to do it. So I'm truly passionate. There's a cause behind it and I'm truly passionate about it and I see it working. And same thing with the mountains. I'm truly passionate about it and I'm willing to go through whatever it takes, the blood, the sweat, everything. Like you have to chew glass sometimes for what you love. And it's so hard. It's not easy. But every time you think, at least on the mountain, every time I thought of the summit, every time I, I thought of, okay, I'm going to make it to the top of the world. I've always wanted to do that. I do that one more step. It's all worth it. It's all worth it. And when you come back down, it's like nothing happened. You don't even feel the pain. You feel content you feel you've achieved your purpose but you also feel scared because okay now what <laughs> i've been dreaming about this for 10 years and i got it now what so you oh, have to i know that feeling oh yeah it's scary it's very scary i mean that you know everybody talks about that but nobody talks about what happens after that and this is where my life changed it was after everest when when i realized okay i've been dreaming about this for 10 years and now that i have it Okay, what is my purpose? Was that my purpose just to climb Mount Everest? Really? Like, and I struggled. And this is where I started. No, like, I need to start thinking about different things. And I'm only 26. I was, I was, I'm still very young. <laughs> I was going to say I was very young back then. It's been only two years. <laughs> and I was thinking, okay, so my dream is to be the owner of my time. And I think there's a lot of people in my generation, at least, who aim to do that, but they're just scared to take that step. 
I feel we're all very talented and extremely qualified to do our own thing. Everybody has different ideas. We have so much ideas and it's all about testing it. Like try whatever it takes to test it. It's okay to take risks. So I quit my job at 26 and then I struggled the first year because it's crazy. How you can you make income on your own? So I got my coaching degree and then I started this feminist project and I started writing a children's book and I started, I started multiple small things and I'm like, let me see. What would take me? Because I'm still using my passion to do this. I started taking people outdoors and it's scary. It's like going through crisis because I didn't know what I wanted. Am I a writer? Am I a coach? Am I, what am I? And I'm still going through this, but like, I think I'm more aligned now because I see things working out for me and I'm realizing, okay, I'm becoming more grounded. I was all over the place. But it's all about taking those small risks and figuring out what you truly love. We tend to forget who we are because of society, because of standards, because of glass ceilings that's been put on us and making us believe what we're supposed to be and who we're supposed to be instead of exploring who we are and going out there and realizing how much we have to offer for the world to become a better world because we all have amazing ideas, amazing ways of living life. And it's, it's just okay to try. Wow. Too wise for 28, my darling. So this is way, way, some people get to 55 years of age and then they start thinking that thought that you, you just had. The idea I think is that we, we often mix that passion, if you want, with fear. You said everyone knows what they love. Yeah, I've probably. If they allowed themselves the moment of silence and the honesty with oneself, everyone will know what they love. But I think you mix that love with fear and say, oh, but hold on, hold on. I want to pay the rent and I want to do this and I want to do that and I want to buy the car, and I wanna, right? And you start to go through life not driven by the passion, but driven by the fear. And then somehow you end up saying, I can delay the passion, you know, just let's just get rid of the risk and reduce the fear. But then there's always fear. You make a hundred dollars a month and you say, that's my absolute dream. If I do that, then I feel okay. And then you make a hundred dollars and, you know, you start to say, I want 400 because I want to have a bigger place and I want to buy something at the end of the month. And so suddenly you're now afraid to lose the hundred and you reach the 400, you become afraid to lose the 400 and you just go through life that way. And, and I don't know many people that did what you did where at 26, where you don't really have a secure way of going through life. Not a lot of people will say, that's it. I'm just, you know, I'm just dropping it and I'm going to climb mountains. Nobody does that. No, I mean, even when I did that, I had so much self-doubt because I had a lot of uh, backfired on me from family. I don't have a lot of friends, <laughs> but from my friends. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good um, thing. Why? Is that a choice or is it because of the mountains? No, it's, it's, it, one is because of the mountains. So I started climbing mountains maybe in the second year of my first job. And I did have, I was like a big fan of like outings. I grew up in Dubai, so you know how life is in Dubai. But then when I, when I started training and I started having goals and I was very goal oriented, people start leaving on their own. Like people start giving up. Okay. Like she's boring now. She's, she's too focused. She's too focused. Too focused. And then I re <laughs> exactly. And then I realized that I was like personally growing as a person and I was so focused and I spent, I enjoy spending a lot of time on my own besides the mountain, because this is where I'm thinking of what I want, who I truly want to be and what I can contribute to this world and what value can I add? Because I don't want to, it's a choice, right? We don't always have to have a purpose. Totally. But like, I want to have a purpose. I want to wake up every day knowing that there is something I have to do. I don't want the day to go by. I want to say how I want my day to go by. So it's been a thing within me and having a lot of friends and this kind of mentality is, is not easy. I will tell you openly, if there is any secret to my success is because I made that decision at the same age you made it as well. The truth is we need friends. But we don't yeah. need as many as we put the time into. And there is a, we need entertainment, but we really don't need to binge watch Netflix for four hours a day. We need to go out for dinner every now and then, but we really don't need to do it every evening. And I think 
the difference is very straightforward. If you take all of those hours and put them into something that you are passionate about and that contribute positively to you and to the world over the years, as I, as I say, you know, when I was 26, exactly like your age, 25 maybe, I said I will spend an hour a day learning something new. One hour a day, just like going to the gym, I will spend an hour a day reading. And you, you count it at my age today and it's 10,000 hours. And that's a very significant number. Malcolm Gladwell will tell you that this is when you start to really make a difference to your abilities and skills and knowledge. And I think the only reason why people don't do this, if you ask me, is because they're not comfortable in their own company. They want that entertainment. They want that distraction. They want the friends and the noise and so on because they're unable to have that place where they can sit with themselves and say, do something useful or reflect on something or learn something. And I believe that um, it's a, somehow I would probably say it's a bit of a waste. So keep going. Some friends is better than a lot of friends. I think that's uh, definitely not a lie. Can I go into a sensitive side? Because you talk about purpose and okay. Climbing mountains is a very physical thing. Not a lot of women climb mountains and not a lot of Arab women uh, climb mountains. Yeah. What are you trying to do here? Are you trying to reset our understanding of this whole thing? So with mountaineering as a whole, the first time I went on climbing a mountain, there weren't a lot of girls in the team. There's always like few girls and the team consists of many other guys. It's like 80-20. Sometimes I'm the only wow. girl. Um, mm. So being a girl on a mountain was really rare, but it's becoming more and more now. So now as you go to the mountain, you're seeing more girls just being out there doing the exact same thing that the guys are doing. So for example, on Denali, you have to carry 30 kgs on your backpack and 30 kgs in your sled. You're tied on a rope with two other men because not a lot of girls are there and you need to keep on going for 21 days. And um, like, so I was in a team and one of the guys would ask me, why are you doing this? Like, can you carry as much as we carry? And then there was me trying to prove a point. Like, look, even though I'm a woman, I can still carry it. I train the same way you train. I've done the same things that you've done. We can do the same thing. That's amazing. And then I would take the extra. So we had to share the kitchen gear, right? So I take extra gear to make a point. Like, look, I can do it and I'm fine. And besides that, they're like, what is an Arab woman like you doing here? So Denali is in Alaska. So you're from Lebanon and you're coming from the desert and you're in Alaska. Like, how did that happen? And you're so young. And then I would have to explain, like, what is the Middle Eastern woman and who is the Middle Absolutely. Eastern woman and what an Arab woman can do and where she's truly, how she's rooted and what she can do and how empowered she can be. I mean, in every community, in every society, we do have a lot of oppressed part of the society and a lot of empowered part of the society, whether men, women, children, different castes, different religions, etc. And it's those empowered people's job is to go out there and say, no, there is another part of the society that's trying to help the other part. And this is what I wanted to do when, when this guy made fun of me on the mountain, whether it's about my ability as a woman or how did I get there? How did I travel? Because we're not allowed to travel as Arab women to from one country to another <laughs> ignited yeah. Yeah, it's like uh, are you not supposed to be locked at home somewhere and you know co covered in black no exactly Where have you been living, yeah. man? Yeah. <laughs> and, and honestly my hair doesn't help sometimes they think i'm lying they're like there's no air i'm like well yeah, so, i'm an arab <laughs> so for everyone who's listening just because you can't see tima so tima has that gorgeous blonde very fluffy is that the right word like a lot of hair okay a lot of hair. Curly so hair. Yeah, curly <laughs> hair. Curly hair. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so I struggled and like those kind of moments really ignited something in me and no, no, you can't have this mentality about us. You can't have this ideology and go around and spread it as well. I need to stop it. Somebody needs to put an end to it. And then it's kept on growing as I climb more mountains. And I also, when I came back, I'd be asked the weirdest questions sometimes when I do articles or interviews or anything. They'd be like more interested in, do you think you'd ever get married? I've, I, I'm just like, like... <laughs> I was about to die up there. <laughs> I mean, you have more questions to ask, are you, I'm sure. Are you <laughs> missing the point? <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, I just came back with an achievement and this is what you want to know? Like, come on. So it's disappointing. And it just built that that fire in me. You know what? No, I need to make a change. And I reached a point where I realized, you know what? I'm a very empowered woman. I'm very blessed. And of course, I'm very grateful for that. I have so much tools around me that I can utilize to make a change. I cannot simply sit back and watch the world having this wrong image of what an Arab woman is like, what a woman in general, and specifically an Arab woman because I'm an Arab. So I started different initiatives to change, whether it's through NGO work. So I do a lot of NGO work. I try to teach women in the Middle East about their rights. Uh, I try to build them projects, empower those oppressed women uh, in different ways. I started an initiative called Feminist because I really believe the word feminist sounds like the word terrorist in the Middle East. And I just wanted people to have the clear understanding of it. Like, look, if I'm a feminist, I believe in equal rights, equal pay, equal opportunities. That's all what we're asking for. We're not asking to be better than men. Women who go out and say we're better than men, then, okay, we need to educate them. Whether you're a man or a woman, you can still educate them. It's all about living together. We complement each other we are not equal biologically speaking and we're very aware of that and that's why we're here to live together but when we go out and work we do have brains and we are smart and we can do so much and physically speaking when we train we can be extremely strong we bring babies to the world i mean woman is so strong and it hurts me when when society look down at it or a person come and look down at it and this is why i wanted to start that initiative called feminist and I started in Lebanon because I believe there's a lot of marginalized communities and a lot of abused women. And I think a woman can be strong when she's financially independent or she's totally. financially stable. So uh, I teamed it up with marginalized women who have taken uh, classes on stitching. And we made tote bags, we made uh, t-shirts, we made uh, long jackets and stuff like that. And we did on them the word feminist in Arabic. And they sell it. Uh, they sell it in farmer's market and they make some money and they, they love the idea and they explain the idea. So it was made for a cause and an explanation just to put a statement out there, maybe through clothes. So stuff like that. It like things happen for a reason. So if you go back to the main story of like how he made fun of me and how it clicked and how it ignited the fire in me and where it got me today. So it's very interesting to see how you can go from a passion of climbing to changing to having a cause and purpose and connecting the dots and realizing, you know what, I am just a channel in this universe and things need to happen through me. If I don't wake up every morning, with a positive attitude and being optimistic, then there's a purpose for me. I'm, I'm here today because I'm saying this because someone's going to hear it and think twice and like have an idea. And this is how we function. So first of all, wow. Wow. I mean, seriously, I am blown away in a very interesting way. I'm going to be very open and honest, and I hope everyone takes me on my positive view of this. I love showing not saying. So when you want to say, we are amazing, show it. Because I believe women are so amazing in every possible way. And I understand, I understand that the opportunity is not equal and everything is very difficult. And there is so much we have to climb, I think is the right word, you know, to be able to get to the right place where everything is done right. But at the same time, we know when they say an image is worth a thousand words, I think an action, an achievement is worth a million images. And I think the reality of, you know, one picture of you at the summit of Everest is basically saying it all. It's basically saying, this is it. I can do this. And it's not about the summit of Everest. It's also about that one picture of a woman from a marginalized community in Lebanon with her product in the farmer's market saying, I can do it. Yes. And I think that's so mind-blowing when you think about it. Forget asking for permission and just get doing. I think I also have to say, Tima, and I adore you for that, women have to stand up for women. And honestly, you need every support. There are many men I know, and I think many in the world, that believe in that 
in a way that basically says, let's just get doing. Let's forget the talking, hoping that the government or the corporations or whatever is, are going to give us equal opportunities. Let's just get doing. And I think, you know, in an interesting way, doing is such a masculine way of saying it. But it's perhaps, perhaps the shortest path if you think about it. I have to say, being so driven, I need to ask you openly, do you enjoy it at all? I mean, are there experiences that you will remember for the rest of your life? Or is it just a challenge, 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 challenge going up the mountain and then two minutes of glory at the top and then you start going down? I think I always need challenges. Like I need things happening because once I feel there is not a lot of movement, not a lot of obstacles around, not a lot of twists that I need to untwist and unknot. I got lost and I struggled. And then I got really low and I become demotivated and I start thinking, then what am I doing here? Like, okay, I give myself three days. Sometimes I'm feeling low. Sometimes there's some changes happening. I need to allow myself to feel down. But I give myself three days. I say you have three days. Cry as much as you want, feel low as much as you want, rest as much as you want. But after that third day, if you don't get up, then you're never going to get up. And this is what, I know, three, two, oh, one, wow. get up. <laughs> That's a mountain climber's attitude. Yeah, but otherwise, no, I'd rather stay driven. I'd rather stay on the go. I like to be busy. I like to, I like things happening all the time. So a vacation for me is climbing a mountain. Wow. Okay. No coffee and cookie in the morning? <laughs> no? <laughs> Can't convince you of that? <laughs> Maybe it's the age as well. I don't know. But I mean, I remember you asked me this question. How do you have all this energy? And I'm just like, is it a lot? I don't, I don't feel it's a lot <laughs> it's today. A lot, it's a lot. <laughs> Aren't we just chilling right now? <laughs> no. When we were having that interview, you could see that, like, can we get, can we get done with this? Can we do it? Can we do it? Can we do it? <laughs> that's, uh, that's definitely a lot of energy. So you have one summit left? Yes. So I'm, I still need to climb the highest mountain in Antarctica to complete the first challenge, oh, which man. is the uh, seven summits. And I'm planning to do the Explorer Grand Slam. So there is no Arab woman who have done the Exploded Grand Slam which is the seven summits plus skiing to the last degree of the North Pole and skiing to the last degree ski. of the South Pole. Uh, it's like straight line skiing and there's obstacles, but you are doing it on skis. So walking on skis to the last degree. You're from the desert, Tima. You, you no, ski? I don't ski. <laughs> <laughs> you don't ski. <laughs> I don't actually. I really, I like, I've skied like once, but I mean, uh, like skiing on like a straight path towards somewhere is, should be way easier than like downhill. Of course, with your mindset as I've known it by now, it's doable. It's very doable. <laughs> so the first couple of meters are going to be difficult and then it will, it's going to be a piece of cake. So this is the highest mountain in the furthest continent that is the coldest place on earth. Yes. Antarctica. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So what does it take if you plan to do it? If you decide right now, I'm going to do it. What does it take for you to prep to get there? So I really think my body has a very strong muscle memory. So I'm well trained. So I'm probably start training and I'll be able, let's say if I decide to go now, December. So November, December would be the perfect season to go to Antarctica. Oh man, that's, that's very counterintuitive for me. <laughs> oh yeah. So it's warmer there because Antarctica is yes. down. Okay, okay, exactly. all right. Yeah, all right, good, Exactly. Good. And I, I put together like project to just show the climate change, what's been happening on the other side of the world because of our, so the human impact on the other side of the world. So, and I want a sponsor. Uh, so I'm looking okay. for sponsors right now to help me achieve this project and complete the Explorer Grand Slam. So a sponsor, I mean, this is an expensive Thing. I mean, you're there for several months, at least there is Definitely. equipment. So wh yeah. what are we so talking about? So I have about? most of the equipment. So we're talking about the expedition sponsorship because heading to Antarctica is on its own a big cost. And the expedition it would take almost a month between skiing to the last degree of the South Pole and climbing the highest uh, mountain in Antarctica. So definitely I need sponsors. So yeah, I'm pitching here and there right now. Have you tried to put it in like some crowdsourcing kind of thing, like saying, 
doesn't have to be one sponsor. Like, do you have some kind of a, I don't know what you call it. Um... Packages, it can be multiple sponsors. Like I've worked on this before. I've got sponsored for other expedition and it can be part of the expedition. Could we have every slow-mo listener contribute a little bit and then it all adds up? Ooh, it... that would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I think, I think we should. I mean, it's really... Uh... I think it's an incredible cause, honestly. I mean, in a way, it just proves through passion that everything's possible. I mean, you're a couple of years older than my wonderful Aya, and so I, I consider you, a, let's call it a younger sister or, a, or, a, or, or, you know, a friend of my daughter's. And, and in a very interesting way, I so worry about you in that horribly cold weather. But I want you to go. I really do. Because you've established my base. You, you've established, like, you know, it's funny when you establish the base of, uh, even if your daughter would do it, but when you know your daughter is strong, you'd be excited to see her going out there. So, so yeah. I know my daughter is strong and I, I'm excited for what she does. I think it's different than what, what you sometimes put yourself and your life and your passion and your energy into. But mm. I think that supporting your own passion and supporting the passion of others is something that we all should be very keen to do, if you ask me. It is, in a very interesting way, it's just maybe what life is about, to live a full life of purpose. Definitely. And one thing I actually wish for when it comes to sponsorship, when you look around in the Middle East, we have a lot of talent that is wasted, that is gone because of this issue. I mean, I'm lucky I was able to like, like secure most of the funding when I was still working, but like others, their talent doesn't even get out there because they're unseen. And when you look outside, so for example, the North Face, they have really nice programs on sponsorship, but Middle Easterns are not allowed to apply for those funding. What do you mean? They're not included. So like they include specific cultures. So they focus on Latin America. They have specific cultures that Come they want to focus on. Come on, North Face. Are you listening to us here? <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, <laughs> so there's not a lot of funding for any talent in the Middle East. Sponsorship is not something common for Arab people. It is people. not common, yeah. And, yeah. and you don't see Arab people like getting sponsored easily. We struggle and sometimes our talents or dreams are just gone away. And if you look at the other end of the world, like I've climbed with a lot of people and all, most of them, 80% of them are sponsored. So I think I hope like to see the sponsorship scene in the Middle East growing, not just mountaineering, any other talent. So let's let's hope. I don't know if any of you guys listening right now knows a path for us to help Tima climb the seventh summit and freeze her feet uh, <laughs> in the coldest part of the world, but feel super happy about it. Contact me or contact Tima. I think it's an effort worthwhile. And what would you do afterwards? I mean, if Everest was like, okay, so that's my purpose. I've waited 10 years for it. If you climb all seven, what? Are you still going to start diving or swimming or what happens then? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a scuba diver. I'm a skydiver. I do swim. Oh my God. <laughs> no, but um, after achieving that, so in terms of mountaineering, I want to try to climb as much as I can from the 14 8,000ers. So there's 14 mountains that are above 8,000 meters and one of them is Everest. So it would be nice to, to nice. be a life, <laughs> a, a life, life project. Uh, but my next big Everest is becoming a leading entrepreneur in the Middle East and the world probably, but like as a woman, a leading woman. <laughs> I actually think you have what it takes. I truly do. And you know, I'm a reasonably okay entrepreneur. So if I can help, I think it's worthwhile. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, this coming from you is on itself a big push. Uh, thank you. My current startup is going through a very interesting wave of transformation and expansion. And, you know, I'll tell you, it's exactly like climbing a mountain. Any personal initiative, whether you're an entrepreneur in business or you're an artist or a writer or whatever, it's just like climbing a mountain. You take 300 meters up, you stop, you reflect, you go back a couple of hundred meters, you go take 500 meters up. And that's exactly how it works. And I think uh, I normally apply to my practical life, I apply knowledge from gaming, which is also very challenging, but I sit on my sofa 
Tima instead mm. of going in the mountains. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's exactly the same. You take a few steps up in the level and then you retreat and reflect and run and again and run again and run again. And I think that resilience, that, uh, that drive is really what makes everyone successful. I, in my heart, wish for nothing more than for you to be very, very successful. I think you're a fantastic ambassador for women. You're a fantastic ambassador for young women. You're a fantastic ambassador for Arab women. And I think you're a great example for, for people to be inspired. Someone who's following her passion and making a Thank difference. Thank you. It's wonderful. Thank you. Like this gives me a big push to even do more. Do more. And uh, I promise when you're ready to go, we should come again on slow-mo and you tell us the story. And, uh, About and the, the startup. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. There you go. <laughs> Tima, I'm very, very, very grateful for your time. Thank you so much. This was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I love talking to you. You say a lot of valuable information that I literally hang on to. So thank you. No, thank you for being who you are also for us as, uh, as youth. <laughs> you're, in, you're a big inspiration for all of us. I think that was amazing. I think that every one of us, man, woman, Arab, from Antarctica, wherever you are in the world, are there people in Antarctica? I'm not sure. But wherever you are in the world, whoever you are in the world, that idea of following your passion to the point where you really, really make a difference is just so incredible. And of course, all of us have those fears, but I think Tima is a is a great example of, no, I'm just going to go for it. And I love it. And we'll see what happens. It would be amazing if we could help her get sponsored. I mean, I don't know the amounts and I don't know how to do that. But if you know someone that can help with her sponsorship to climb the last summit of the seven, that would be amazing. Get in touch with me or Tima in the show notes. Her contacts will be there. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I hope it inspired you to think about your passion and think about putting time and effort in things that really matter and uh, hopefully finding your joy and happiness. As she said, it's the being there in the present when you're fully, fully present because you're following your passion and you're doing something that you love. For her, it's a mountain. For you, I don't know, but it must be there. Do get in touch and please keep spreading the word on slow-mo. If you haven't already rated this show, please do on your Apple podcast. It does make a lot of difference for people to get to know about it and share about it on social media, share about it to your friends, tell them about it, hold them and sit them down and get them to listen to it. And uh, as we go back into our busy lives, I remind you that it doesn't really matter how busy you are today because there is always a tiny bit of time available for you to slow down. I love you all for listening and I will see you next time.